it. Um, when you meet a new person, you tend to listen more closely than maybe another time. When I find red print, because these are the words of Jesus, I like to perk up and absorb something. But this is a warning kind of thing. Please stand you in respect for the scripture. The rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. And send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let, them, let him warm them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Thank you for your attention. The word of the Lord. Uh, this is one of those things that uh, may not be the most uplifting of subjects. Um, I, I was talking to Julie about this. Um, I mean, this is a long sermon. And I said, I may... I may end up only doing half of it. And so to encourage me in that, she threw a little extra in this morning so that our... I think that's what was going on. I'm not sure. We're still in our, um, we're still in our series on lies in truth's clothing. And um, so I entitled this, uh, The Lie is No One Goes to Hell. Um, but I'll expand on that a little bit further as, as we move along through this today. Um, perhaps you've heard the story about the message one man left on his tombstone. It said this, Consider, young man, as you walk by, as you are, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, you soon shall be, so prepare, young man, to follow me. That sounded pretty profound, but someone took an instrument of some kind and scratched a response on the tombstone that read, 
To follow you is not my intent until I know which way you went. (laughs) The Bible teaches us that this life is not all there is. After death, there exist two eternal realities. All of us will spend eternity in one of two places. In our culture, we tend to embrace the idea of heaven or paradise, but we're much more reluctant to admit that there is a hell. Or if we do acknowledge such a place, we discount the possibility that anyone might end up there. Actually, I'm I'm going to try in this message to deal with three common lies regarding hell. And I don't know, there may be versions of this, more that you could add. But first of all, the title of the message, No One Goes to Hell, or A Loving God Would Not Send Anyone to Hell, or There Is No Hell, because there are all three of those uh, ways of thinking out there. Um, Now... We kind of make light of hell. Uh, You've probably seen cartoons, you know, there's a little guy with a pointy tail and horns on his head with a pitchfork. And, and, you know, sometimes there are pictures of people in hell and they're kind of having a party, you know. It's really not that bad. Um, We see that kind of things in cartoon. And we... We may hear hell mentioned quite often, though usually not in a sermon if you know what I mean. But more often in the common vernacular of our day, and and you know what I'm talking about, you hear it all the time, what the hell, go to hell, we do things for the hell of it, boots the hell out of me, hell yes, hell no, burn in hell, rot in hell, I went through hell. So hell is mentioned a lot out there. Um, But as often as it's mentioned, we really never talk much about it. It's a rather uncomfortable subject. In fact, even though the word hell tends to be used quite often, we're inclined to deny or, or ignore its existence. Or when people do talk about it, we try to make it sound as though it's not so bad. Um, Mark Twain said this, I'll take heaven for the climate and hell for the society. So, I like the climate in heaven, but I think I'd have more fun in hell. That's what he's saying. In a speech to the National Press Club, Ted Turner said this, Heaven is going to be a mighty slender place, and most of the people I know in life aren't going to be there. There are a few notable exceptions, and I'll miss them. Remember, heaven is going to be perfect, and I don't really want to be there. Those of us that go to hell, which will be most of us in this room, most journalists certainly are going there. But when we get to hell, we'll have a chance to make things better because hell is supposed to be a mess. And heaven is perfect. Who wants to go to a place that's perfect? Boring, boring. Hmm. And churches and Christians don't talk much about hell anymore. From an article uh, in Newsweek, it proclaimed this, Today hell is theology's H-word, a subject too trite for serious scholarship. This is in a recent, recent phenomena. All the way back in 1927, noted 
atheist Bertrand Russell in a speech entitled Why I Am Not a Christian criticized followers of Jesus Christ for pushing aside the essential teaching of the Bible. He's this essential teaching of the Bible. He said, Hell is neither so certain nor as hot as it used to be. C.S. Lewis was told about a gravestone inscription that read, Here lies an atheist, all dressed up and nowhere to go. And Lewis quietly responded, I'll bet he wishes that were so. In a national poll conducted several years ago by USA Today, 67% of American adults said they believe in a hell. Less than 25% believe that they would go there and 25% believe that their friends will be there. Many Christians, many theologians even reject the idea of hell. When preparing for this, I was reading on some things... um, on the internet about what people have written and there are pastors and there are theologians who who deny the existence of hell um, and so where where Jesus talks about it especially they say well we've taken that out of context he's not really talking about a place of eternal punishment and you know kind of blah 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 you know there's a a, a, a theological belief system thought that is called universalism and it teaches that everybody goes to heaven in his in the book uh, love wins heaven hell and the fate of every person who ever lived pastor and author rob bell has been reported as saying that everyone goes to heaven um i remember well I was thinking about a song, but I won't repeat it. Um, In the 2010 movie Hereafter, the afterlife is portrayed as being a wonderful place where everyone goes. And you'll just be, it'll be this wonderful place where you're surrounded by family and friends. But the Bible teaches that hell is a very real place. The concept of hell was not invented by the church or pastors as a way of scaring people into being good. It is an actual place. And in the New Testament, hell or Hades is mentioned explicitly 23 times. And 16 of those occurrences, Jesus is the one who utters the word. So I want to start this morning by looking at uh, some biblical terms, uh, just to give us a a better understanding. Uh, The first is Sheol. Um, In the Old Testament, the word Sheol occurs 65 times, and that probably depends on the translation you're looking at. It may be more or less depending. It's translated by words like grave, hell, pit, and then sometimes Sheol. But if you look at the original language, that it's all the same word. A study of the occurrences indicates that Sheol is used in a variety of ways, as I've just said. It may refer to the grave. It may refer to a place of the dead where both good and people go upon death. Um, it, it tells us that uh, God followers... 
people who love God and, and, and abide by his commands will be rescued from Sheol. Um, it tells us in the Old Testament that the wicked go to Sheol upon death. And there are numerous um, references uh, to all of those. Then the, other, the next word we see is Hades. The New Testament term is used to describe the afterlife. Hades and is equivalent to the Old Testament word Sheol. In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word Sheol almost always is translated by Hades. Hades was originally a proper noun, the name of the god of the netherworld who ruled over the dead. So that's where that comes from. The word Hades is probably used in two different ways. It's used to describe a place when referring to punishment and simply the state of death where all must go upon termination of life. And of the ten occurrences of Hades in the New Testament, it is used as a place of punishment three times and as the state of death which both believers and unbelievers enter seven times. And then the next uh, word we see in the scripture is Gehenna. This term occurs uh, 12 times in the New Testament. is a, a designation of eternal punishment taken from the Hebrew word Gehinnom, referring to the valley of Hinnom that runs on the south and east sides of Jerusalem. The worship of Molech, and if you remember anything about Molech in the Old Testament, it was disgusting. One of the things they did in worship of Molech was to sacrifice infants to Molech. That occurred in the Valley of Hinnom. Jeremiah announced the Valley of Hinnom, and Hinnom would be the place of God's judgment. The Valley also became the place where refuse, dead animals, dead bodies of criminals were burned. As a result, Gehenna became synonymous with eternal punishment, the fire of hell. It describes a punishment connected with the final judgment, punishment that has eternal dura duration, but not annihilation. Some preach that. There will be a point in time where you will no longer exist, but it does not say that in Scripture. And then there's one other word. It's Tartaru. This occurs only in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Tartarus was, was thought of by the Greeks as a subterranean place lower than Hades where divine punishment was meted out and so regarded, in, uh, regarded as such in an Israelite apocalyptic literature. So here's 2 Peter 2, 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, Tartaru, putting them in gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. So that's the only place where that particular uh, word is used. And then we need to understand this. The hell that we talk about, at least generally, is a holding place. And we need to know this. Hell was not created for us. Hell was not created for us. God didn't intend that any of us be there. Right? 
God did not, he created it for Satan and his demons. He didn't create it for us. Um, so in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. God does not want anyone there, but everyone to come to repentance. He wants us in heaven with him. Well, I remember a pastor friend of mine that said that the job of his church to, was to make hell as empty as possible. But the scripture does tell us, and, and uh, this is Matthew twenty five forty one, and this is a time of judgment. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. There it is wasn't intended for us. It was created for the devil and his angels. And again, what I, that passage I just shared with you from Second Peter. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. That's what hell was created for. So, we need to know this. The hell that it's talking about here is temporary. The Beacon Dictionary of Theology tells us the wicked at death are banished from the presence of the Lord in Hades or hell and in a state of conscious suffering and unrest. However, Hades is not their final state, for they will be resurrected only to be consigned to a place of everlasting shame and contempt at the last judgment. And then in Revelations 20, verse 14, we read, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. That is where, that, that is where hell will go. That's where Satan will go. That, that is where all the unrepentant will go finally. So what we think of as hell right now is really temporary. Um, the place where Hell will be, Satan and his demons will be, those who are unrepentant and have not made Jesus their Savior, it will be in the lake of fire. Second, it is a place of consciousness. Those who end up in hell will be very aware of where they are and what they are experiencing. Certainly in the text that was read to us today, the rich man in hell was very conscious of his situation. So we will know it's not this kind of floating around in this, I don't know, state of unconsciousness. No, we will be, it's a place where you'll be very conscious of what is happening. It's a place of anguish and regret. Knowing that one could have made choices in life that would have kept them out of hell, that in itself would be, be cause for anguish and regret. I could have made choices that would have kept me from being here. Several times when Jesus talked about hell, he said it was a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There are signs of emotional suffering, a place of eternal sadness. You know, sometimes people wish they could erase their memories like, you know, you erase, or remember an old cassette tape or something like that. However, there is no Alzheimer's in hell. 
Everyone will have a crystal clear memory. Hell will be a place of eternal remembrance and regret. Have you ever bought something on a whim and regretted it? And we call that buyer's remorse. Uh, Fortunately, when you do that, uh, you often have the opportunity to take those things back for a refund or an exchange. Well, in hell, there's something called invitation remorse. It won't be over something you did, but it will be remorse over something you didn't do. And that was accept the invitation to make Jesus your Savior. On this earth, you'll always have a chance to make up for things. In hell, you won't. There will be an eternal gnashing of teeth, disappointment with a decision you've made or a decision you didn't make. You will not be able to blame anybody but yourself. Nothing but eternal regret. And then, if that isn't enough, it is a place of suffering. In the NIV, we see the words agony and torment in in the passage that was read today. Both used twice to describe what the rich man was experiencing in hell. Compare that with a chronic injury. Like a person who has a back injury and is in constant pain so they cannot find a comfortable position, comfortable position to lay down or sit or stand. There's just no way. You're just in constant pain. Then thinking about living with that for a long, long time. What I'm saying is that I think the pain of hell isn't just what is described as fire. The torment won't be just a matter of intensity, but a matter of duration. The rich man was longing for a momentary respite from the pain, but did not receive any. C.S. Lewis said, Hell is nothing but yourself for all eternity. Hell or Hades is a, a place of complete darkness and loneliness. In, in this story, the, the rich man was able to see out of hell, but Revelation tells us that someday hell itself is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. The doors of hell will be closed forever. So people who think hell is going to be some great big party with all their evil friends have missed the point. Hell is not a party. Picture yourself in complete darkness, no sight, No sound, no smells, no touch, nothingness. Think about what that would be like for an hour, then a day, then a month. How about forever? It's chilling to think about, isn't it? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, It says, they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. You know, I've I've heard people say that when they're going through a difficult time in life, they're going, going through hell. But that's not true. Our lowest days on earth will seem like a vacation compared to hell. 
It's been said that the pain of hell is not so much caused by the presence of evil as the absence of good. Darkness is not dark because of the presence of darkness, but because of the absence of light. And that's one of the things I think we have a hard time wrapping our minds around, and that's this. Hell will be the total absence of God. And we have no idea what that's like. We have no idea what that's like. We've never experienced that in this world. God is present here still. We've never experienced what it's like to know the total absence of God and anything good. And folks, um, not only will that be true of hell, the temporary place, but that will be true of hell, the final place, which I think is where I'm going to stop. Um, <laughs> Chapter 2 next week. Aren't you glad for two straight weeks of this? <laughs> but it's something we need to understand and be aware of. Because we live in a world that wants to discount um, this. Minimize it, discount it, ignore it. Pretend it isn't true, but it's, it's a reality. And we need to be aware of it. And I hope... Um, it was C.T. Stead, the, the English missionary, that said, uh, Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to raise a rescue station within, within a yard of hell. Uh, in other words, he said, I don't want anybody to go there. I'm going to be right at the doors to keep that from happening. And I pray that that's our hearts. Too. Well, let's, let's pray. Father, um, this is one of those uncomfortable truths, but it's a truth nevertheless. And um, I would say it's probably something we don't want to spend a lot of time thinking about, but I think it's certainly something we need to be aware of, because the Scripture speaks of it. Jesus spoke of it, and he spoke of it because he didn't want anybody to go there. And we shouldn't want anybody to go there either. Lord, we shouldn't want to be there ourselves. And so I pray, Lord God, that as, as we consider this topic, and, and really, I, I'm not sure that even as we talk about this and share what the Scripture says, we can really comprehend what hell is, or heaven for that matter. Um, but, Father, to understand that this is a horrible, horrible place, maybe horrible beyond our imagining. And, Father, um, may it be motivational like it was for C.T. Studd. May it be motivational so that we want to do everything in our power and through the work of the Holy Spirit and lives of people to keep them ever from going there. Like my pastor friend said, we as a church want to do our best to make sure that there are as few as possible in hell. Lord, may this be motivation for us as your Holy Spirit works through us. And uh, Father, thank you that you, know, you, didn't, you didn't leave us in the dark about this. You told us, here it is. And uh, so God, help us to take this to heart. 
uh, increase our understanding and increase our motivation to be as evangelistic as we can possibly be. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.